It's Wednesday, May 24th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, researchers have found that U.S. military veterans are not extremists, and that apparently comes as a surprise to the researchers. So we're going to talk about that study coming up. Second, we are off to another island adventure this morning, but this time we are going to the Indian Ocean to an island called Diego Garcia. It's been used for decades by the U.S. military, but that might not be true for much longer. I'll explain. Third, some European countries this morning are refusing to rebuild their militaries despite promises to do so. I'm going to explain that these European countries don't think that they need to rebuild because they think that you should pay for their defense. Later, we close out the podcast with a story of regret out of the state of Oregon. Several years ago, voters in the Beaver State decriminalized the use of hard drugs. Now, they wish they hadn't. But let's get to our top story of the morning first. America's veterans are not inclined to support extremists. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is apparently surprising, at least to the media outlet NPR and some researchers at the Rand Corporation, who conducted a survey of veterans last fall. So we're going to dive into that survey and its findings, as well as ask why these researchers and media organizations are surprised by their findings. And we're going to talk about how the White House and Pentagon are, at least in part, to blame. But before we get to that, let's talk about this survey. The RAND Corporation, ladies and gentlemen, it actually receives part of its funding from you, the U.S. government. And they conducted a survey of 1,000 nationally representative veterans back in December of last year and November, all to get to the bottom of a very terrible allegation. And that is this. Military veterans are somehow predisposed to embrace extremism and violence, right? It's a belief that is shared pretty widely amongst Democrats and progressive groups, although we'll talk about that more in a minute. First, let's talk about what the survey found and why it was conducted. So first, researchers discovered that across the board, veterans are less likely to support any cause of extremism as compared to the general public. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Researchers noted that 10% of Americans supported the violent leftist group Antifa. Meanwhile, only 5% of veterans supported that same radical group. Next, 7% of Americans supported white nationalism and white supremacy, while only 0.7% of veterans did. So overall, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some great news this morning about the country's military veterans. They just aren't extremists, certainly not as compared to the general public, except there is one notable exception, right? Of the veterans polled, 5.3% supported black nationalism. Again, compare that to the 0.7% for white nationalism or white supremacy. So for folks who are unaware, black nationalism is generally defined as the demand for a separate black nation. It's a demand that has been long been made by extremists like Louis Farrakhan and Malcolm X. Now, this is an alarming finding, right, that 5.3% of veterans support a separate black nation. 
And it's especially surprising, actually, when you realize that the entire premise for conducting this study was a fear about white supremacy and white nationalism. As researchers at Rand Corporation said in their 20-plus page document, the reason that they did this poll was because policymakers and fellow researchers have been concerned, growing concerned, that the U.S. veteran community is at an increased risk of radicalization, specifically for white nationalism and white supremacy. Researchers at Rand specifically noted the January 6th riots at the Capitol as evidence to support their growing fears. But again, that's not what the researchers found. They found the opposite. Black nationalist beliefs are held by over 5% of veterans, whereas only 0.7% embrace white nationalist or supremacist views. Well, regardless of that, ladies and gentlemen, Rand's researchers said that the overall takeaway is that veterans, by and large, are not extremists. And that, they said, left them, quote, pleasantly surprised by the findings, end quote. So those are the facts and data this morning about America's veterans and where they stand on extremism of all kinds. So I would like to offer one piece of analysis and opinion, and I'd like to offer you uh, some focus on that last quote that was given by the researchers. They said that they were, quote, pleasantly surprised by the findings, end quote, which logically means that they were expecting the opposite, to find proof that veterans are more likely to embrace extremist views, especially and namely white extremism. In other words, they had a bias that made them believe that veterans were more prone to be extremists. So we should ask, why is that? Why did these researchers believe that? Because they're quite smart. According to the RAND Corporation, they've got over 1,700 researchers with 53% holding doctorate degrees and another 40% holding master's degrees. So why did these smart people have such a dumb and offensive bias? Well, according to the All Sides fact-checking group, RAND Corporation leans left politically. Okay, well, that begs yet another question. Why would very smart people on the left hold a bias that the military is especially prone to extremism when the opposite is true? Well, that is a pretty big topic, isn't it? And controversial, which we will probably unpack a lot in the future in various briefs. But to just start for today, let's actually go back two years in time. All right. In February of 2021, the White House and Mr. Joe Biden's defense secretary, his name is Lloyd Austin, they ordered a 60-day stand-down to weed out extremism in the ranks. Now, at the time, Mr. Biden and his team insisted that, quote, each service, each command, and each unit must take time out to have these needed discussions about extremism with the men and women of the force, end quote. And the reason for that is because, as Mr. Biden and his secretary, Mr. Austin, said, there was an alarming number of current and veteran members of the military who took part in the Capitol riots back on January 6th of 2021. Further, the White House and the Pentagon said that those members of the military who had these connections to January 6th and those riots, well, they were surprisingly connected to right-wing white supremacists and white nationalism. Well, whatever the truth there was or is to that allegation, what we now know through this RAND Corporation data 
is, well, two very important things. First, extremism is rare amongst veterans, especially more rare as compared to the general public. So thankfully, we largely don't have an extremism problem within the ranks, despite claims to the contrary. But second, ladies and gentlemen, the extremism that we do have, specifically related to race, well, that is a problem of black nationalism and black extremism. And I'll tell you why that to me is so remarkable. Because I personally, ladies and gentlemen, took part in that stand down that was ordered by Mr. Biden and Mr. Austin. I was working at the time on a project with the U.S. military. And we were told that we could not discuss Antifa or black radical groups as a part of the broader discussion of extremism. Right? We, were, we were told that the focus was only to be on right-wing white extremism and January 6th. But that focus was wrong. And now we have the data to prove it. But getting back to our last question, why did very smart folks on the left, from the Rand Corporation to Secretary Austin or Mr. Joe Biden, why did they choose to do something, to focus on something that, as it turns out, the data just don't support? Well, I think that the reasonable conclusion is that they had a political bias, a bias that, as of this morning, has left them surprised in the face of actual data. At least that's the reaction as quoted by the RAND researchers. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe they are surprised. Maybe they will apologize for being wrong, because as it turns out, we focused on the wrong problem within our military. Or maybe, folks, maybe they're not surprised at all. And that's because none of this conversation or training about military extremism, well, that was never really about the truth or doing the right thing to eliminate extremism in the military. Instead, maybe that 60-day stand-down and all of the narrative and the rhetoric both before and after was really about this, about creating fear in the American people, creating a, a boogeyman that could be leveraged for politics and actually to target political opponents. Now, that's a pretty terrible thing to think about, that our government from the White House to the Pentagon or otherwise would use race to incite fear to advance a political party or a cause, but I suppose that I shouldn't be surprised by that because there's a very, very long history of it. I just had thought that we had shed ourselves of that very dark era. But it appears this morning, at least to me, that we still have a long ways to go. With that, let's take our first break of the morning, folks. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, and then in a minute or two, we'll be right back. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Arc Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with Arc Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. 
So go to arcseedkits.com. Again, that's ARC, like Noah's Ark, and buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code RIGHT, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code RIGHT, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. Well, if you have your maps handy, you know, after we talked about all the great places from around the world yesterday, well, once again, pull them out, ladies and gentlemen, because we've got another island to talk about. But this one's not in the Pacific Ocean. It's in the Indian Ocean. And it is of profound importance to the U.S. military. And that's probably why China wants to take it from us and the British. So let's talk about that exotic island this morning, as reported by the United Kingdom's Daily Mail. First, let's find this place on a map. So if you look due south of India, about 500 miles south, you're going to see an island country known as the Maldives. Well, go another 500 miles south, go across the equator, and you're going to see a very small island called Diego Garcia. All right, this little island It's actually an atoll, really. It has quite a history. According to the oral tradition of the Maldive people, fishermen would occasionally get blown off course and would land in this faraway place, and there was no one there. It was really isolated, but beautiful, had fresh water, and as one would expect, there was not a soul in sight. Now, meanwhile, another people in the region on the island country of Mauritius, far, far to the west, They also laid claim to this atoll, although it was over 1,000 miles away from their country, so their claims are a little bit weak. But regardless, in the 1500s, the Portuguese took control of that atoll, then the French, and then the British. They got it in the year 1814, and they officially paid the Mauritius government around $600,000 for ownership of that atoll back in the 1960s. And it was during that decade, ladies and gentlemen, that the inhabitants who had come over during the 400-year period of settlement, they were moved off Diego Garcia and two militaries moved in, right? Diego Garcia became a fortress for the British and U.S. navies, which now station around 4,000 personnel on the island. Now, to give you a sense of the importance of Diego Garcia, it was critical as both a staging and launching ground of missiles, for instance, in the Persian Gulf War, then again in the war in Afghanistan, and also the war in Iraq. But the real key to Diego Garcia moving forward is how it could play a critical role as China moves its interests from the Pacific into the Indian Ocean. And you can see why by looking at your map. It's a long flight or float, between its allies in Asian countries like Myanmar to Middle Eastern and African allies like Pakistan or Djibouti. Well, unfortunately, though, for the United States, our friends in the UK are thinking about giving up Diego Garcia and giving it back to the country of Mauritius because, again, they claim that it's theirs, at least historically. And if that were to happen, boy, oh boy, the communists in China would be thrilled And the reason for that is that Mauritius is very friendly with Beijing. Now, you might be wondering, why would the UK ever do such a thing? Why would they turn over Diego Garcia to Mauritius? Well, here's why. A court that is affiliated with the United Nations ruled back in 2019 
that Britain has no right over Diego Garcia, nor the Chagos Islands that surround it. Well, the UK does not have to follow that ruling, but the last UK Prime Minister and the current UK Foreign Secretary, who's sort of like our Secretary of State, well, they actually agreed to work with that country of Mauritius to turn it over. In fact, they've held three rounds of negotiations, all with the goal of seeing what they might do with Diego Garcia one day, indeed, turn it over to Mauritius. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, has apparently left the Pentagon quite upset. According to the Daily Mail, sources told the newspaper on Sunday that the U.S. military, uh, well, they have expressed pretty deep concern about these negotiations and the possible loss of Diego Garcia. First, namely to Mauritius, but then likely to the Chinese government. All right, so those are the facts and data this morning. And as you can imagine, I'm going to be watching this story very closely over the coming months because that little atoll has a very big impact on both America's security and the world's. All right, from the Indian Ocean this morning, we head all the way to Europe for our last brief of the day. And we're going to start with this reminder. U.S. taxpayers, you all are on the hook for $113 billion to be spent in the war in Ukraine. Now, some of that is for aid to pay for things like Ukraine's social security system or some humanitarian purposes, but mostly it's for military weaponry. Now, meanwhile, European nations have not contributed as much, certainly by way of weaponry. And that's because, as listeners know, many European countries, they don't have the weaponry to give. They stopped investing in their militaries and their weapons manufacturers back when the Cold War ended. Right? They thought that the threat of war was over. But that thinking changed in the days and weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine. Right? European powers pretty quickly realized and indeed then promised that they had to dramatically ramp up their military spending to at least 2% of their GDP, when many of them weren't even spending a half to 1%. But this morning, we're learning that many of those European nations are changing their minds. In fact, some European countries are spending less on their militaries now than when Russia invaded. And the reason, well, first, they think that Russia is now deeply weakened. But mostly, they think that you my fellow American taxpayers, will ultimately be there for them if they are ever invaded. In other words, you will send your sons and daughters to die in Europe if war were ever to come. So here are the details on that story this morning, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and the German media outlet DW. So when I say that European governments have left their militaries, well, to just dwindle to virtually nothing, let me give you arguably the most egregious case, right? And that is in Germany. And let's take three examples of what sort of dwindling to nothing looks like. First, as of October of last year, Berlin only had enough 155 millimeter artillery shells to last two days of war. Next, only 33% of their Navy is in good enough condition to deploy. Third, they struggle to get their radios to work, mostly because they're over 30 years old and don't communicate very well with other more advanced Western systems. So those three examples, all of that helps explain why Germany's military readiness is at less than 50%. But again, all of that was supposed to change 
because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but it hasn't. As the Wall Street Journal is reporting this morning, Germany's defense budget has not been increased. Plus, a special defense fund that was actually set up after Russia invaded Ukraine, that hasn't been spent either. And the reason for both of those things, fundamentally, is that German officials believe that the Russians are no longer a threat militarily. Again, that's, of course, because the U.S. and you have decided to spend $113 billion in military aid that has, well, sufficiently degraded the Russian threat. Plus, Berlin believes that if war were to ever come to Germany, its NATO partners would come to the rescue. And by that, they mean that you, America, American taxpayers, and ultimately your children in uniform would come to the rescue. So from Germany's perspective, they say, why would Berlin spend its blood and treasure when America would spend theirs? Now, to be fair, Germany's new defense minister, whose name is Boris Pistorius, said that he wants to increase military spending in his country and shake up his slow bureaucracy, especially to use more of that special defense fund, maybe to buy some new things like radios. But the overall political calculus in Germany this morning remains, right? They believe, right or wrong, that America will come to its defense if a war ever came, right? It's your blood and treasure better spent, not theirs. So those are the facts and data this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'll simply offer you this next analysis and opinion, although to be very clear, it's not mine. It's that of President George Washington. In September of 1796, President Washington was preparing to step down from the presidency, and he offered up his farewell address to the nation. And if you haven't read it, it is quite something to read. So, for instance, he warned of party politics. He said it would destroy the country if you focused on the interests of the party and not the interests of the country. Seems right. He also spoke about foreign affairs specifically and especially wars fought by foreign nations. He said that we should avoid involving ourselves in foreign wars and only do so in, quote, temporary alliances for extraordinary purposes, end quote. Now, he went on to say this, quote, why, by interweaving our destiny with that of any part of Europe, why entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of European ambition, rivalship, interest, humor, and caprice, end quote. So the point that he was making, folks, is why jeopardize our economy and our young people and our destiny as a nation with any part of Europe or really the world when each of those countries and leaders and regions are all entangled in various messy forms of intrigue and personal beefs and family feuds and religious conflicts and other hidden interests. Now, he did say that perhaps it may be necessary to involve ourselves in such a thing, but to do so on a temporary basis for an extraordinary purpose. Now, you all can decide if Ukraine falls into that category, but as for me, here's what I see. We have a permanent alliance called NATO with members like Germany that, as of this morning, refuse to spend their own money on their own defense. Instead, they're happy for you, my fellow Americans, to spend your money and your blood on their continent's defense. So I wonder what President Washington would say to that. 
Now, maybe he wouldn't even say anything at all. Maybe he would just pull out a map, point to Germany, and smirk at those around him, and give us that look that says, oh, my fellow Americans, I told you so. All right, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now. And we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Voters in Oregon this morning are having some regrets. A majority of them believe that it was a mistake to effectively legalize hard drugs in their state, which they did back in 2020. So here's that story as told by Oregon Live and the New York Post. So back in 2020, Oregonians, in fact, voted in favor of something called Measure 110, or the Drug Addiction Recovery Act. So what it means is this. If you're caught with a relatively small amount of drugs, including hard drugs like cocaine and heroin, you can't be arrested you get the equivalent of sort of a traffic ticket, right? It's a $100 fine, which you don't actually have to pay. You just have to call a 1-800 number and go through a screening for drug addiction. Well, two years later, what do you think has happened? Well, here's what the data show. First, the state of Oregon now has one of the highest drug use rates in the country, if not the highest. Second, it's seen a 20% surge in overdose deaths. Finally, Oregon's homeless population went up 22%. That's over the past two years. Well, that led to a polling firm in Portland who, uh, well, they reached out to fellow Oregonians and they asked on a statewide basis, what do you now think of that decision to pass Measure 110? And here's what the folks told them. 65% of respondents said that Measure 110 had made drug addiction and overdose worse in the state. About the same percentage, 63%, said that it had made homelessness worse as well. And finally, 63% said it had made crime worse in their cities too. So folks, I think it's fair to say that the facts and data this morning support a pretty clear opinion and analysis. If I could just channel uh, Nancy Reagan here, I think that we should just say no to decriminalizing hard drugs. Because if you just say yes you might just become the once proud state of Oregon. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. That the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.